If you would please turn to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 23. You'll find here in this chapter that it pretty much divides itself in half. The first half is a doxology, it's a praise. The second half, starting with verse 15, it's a prayer. So we have two parts of, of worship. We have praise and prayer. So let's see what Paul was praying about. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Keep your hand here. It is my text. And as I read it, I will remind you that this is the word of God. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we're struck by the fact that, that Paul prayed for the saints, the Ephesians. And I, and I believe <clears throat> that uh, it's perfectly legitimate to include ourselves as among the saints. Um, so this prayer has certainly implications for us. It sets a pattern. It, it displays a, a, a need. But Lord, as, even as we read the prayer, uh, as the doxology, the praise in the first part of the chapter, the praise ends up, again, praising Jesus. Um, it's all about Jesus. Our prayers are often about us. Paul's prayer was about Christ. And we thank you that we saw there at the end that we are in his church Christ's church, his body, his chosen instrument of working in the world and literally bringing about conclusion to his glorious plan. So this is a big prayer. We pray that you'd help us to understand it and more importantly to incorporate it in our own prayers and in our own understanding of, of what it means to... Um, be in Christ, I pray. Amen. 
Well, our text begins in verse 15 with, um, for this reason, for this reason. Well, obviously that is a reference back to what Paul had been saying, writing, teaching, verses 3 through 14. In other words, because of what I have just said, I am praying for you. Now, some might find this statement ironic. I think all of us would find it necessary because in verses 3 through 14, Paul dealt with God's eternal choices and predestination. And some would fatally, uh, fatalistically conclude, well, why pray then? <laughs> but not Paul. He saw the necessity of prayer and God's work of sanctification. Sanctification is a Bible word. It means uh, personal growth, spiritual growth, becoming more like Christ. Christians are to become in practice what they are in position. We're to become in practice what we are in position. And this is, he said, for this reason, I'm going to pray for you. I've given you what you are in position, but I'm going to pray that you will understand it in practice. We spoke before about the already, not yet um, um, scheme we often see in Scripture. There are things that are already true, but yet not quite yet in action. Uh, we'll see in this book, it's already true that we're seated in heaven with Christ, but yet we also know we're walking here on earth. Um, so we're already uh, holy and blameless, all right? Uh, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So that's past tense. We have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, Just He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. So we're already holy and blameless. That's why he calls us saints. Yet they still needed and we still need to increase our knowledge of what we are, what we, what we have in Christ. Because on, in, in, in position, we're holy and blameless. In practice, we're growing in holiness. We learned in verses 3 through 14 that our position in Christ is settled. Um, look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. We are already accepted in the Beloved. God is not going to like us any more or any less. These songs that were sung, uh, particularly the specials, were excellent, on, right on target. Uh, loyal love, ascend, uh, the, the Hebrew word uh, means um, steadfast love or um, um, eternal love uh, or loyalty. That God has, it loves us with a loyal love. We're not, we're, we have been accepted. We're not trying to gain acceptance. We have it. Now, how does that play out? And Paul says, for this reason, I'm praying for you so that you can come to grips with that. So you can come to grips with that. Keep your hand here. Go towards the end of the Bible, a few pages, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 10 says, In him, Colossians 2.10, In him you have been made complete. So in Christ we, we are complete. Uh, we're already complete. We're just not yet. We would call this progressive 
sanctification, um, or as our title says, on our way to perfection. We're holy and blameless, and on our way there, <laughs> here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to put into practice. Here's what we need to understand. This is what he's praying about, that they could, co- that they could comprehend what this means, how marvelous this is. Um, again, all through this book, he calls us saints. Saints. Um, verse 1, to the saints. Verse 15, when I heard of your love for the saints. Uh, verse 18, the inheritance of the saints. Uh, chapter 2, verse 19, um, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are of God's household. These are things that are already true. Uh, 3.18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Chapter 4, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, chapter 5, verse 3, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. Chapter 6, verse 18, with all prayer and supplication, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with a view to be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all saints. Every chapter, he, he refers to us as saints. We're not, we're not trying to, to, to work our way to sainthood. We're not trying to work our way to be uh, um, um, confirmed as saints. We are saints. We're in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees us as holy and blameless. In fact, when he looks at us, he sees us as Jesus. We're accepted in the beloved. So we're not talking about earning uh, uh, God's approval. We're not talking about earning God's favor. God's love is loyal. God's love is loyal. Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. So Paul prays that believers would come to understand what we already have in Christ. That's what this is about. What do, can we wrap our minds around this? Can, can, can we truly comprehend this? And again, we find these truths in Scripture. In Scripture. Um, so this is a prayer for enlightenment. The whole, that the Holy Spirit um, would enlighten, open the eyes of the believer. Verse 17, that the, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Where do we find this knowledge of Him? In Scripture. What do we need? We need, a, we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate us, to Open our eyes, our minds. Keep your hand here. Go to Luke 24. Luke 24:32. And they said one to another, the, the Emmaus disciples uh, on the road to Emmaus. Christ appeared, the resurrected Christ appeared, and he opened to them the scriptures. And they said, um, uh, were, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Verse 44. And he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written of me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
as I mentioned in Sunday school a couple weeks ago, you have both the Old and the New Testament there. The Old Testament is Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. So Christ gave his, his uh, validation of the importance of the Old Testament. But the words which I spoke to you is the New Testament. The apostles have faithfully recorded those words, and we have them in the New Testament. He's saying, listen, you need the Old Testament, New Testament. And he says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. So Paul's, this is what he's talking about. We need to pray that God the Father would open our minds to understand the Scripture. If you want the Word of God to come alive, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Verse 13, in Him... I'm sorry, Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have the Holy Spirit. He is the one that, that opened our hearts, our minds, to the message of the gospel, to the truth of salvation. We have that Holy Spirit. Um, we need to, to, to rely on Him, to, to, to ask Him. Ray Stebbins, one of my favorite Bible teachers of the past, he said this, Do you pray while you read the Bible? Do you open the pages and say, Lord, show me yourself. Make yourself real to me in these pages. Remember, the Bible is not just a history book about the past or a prophecy book about the future. It isn't a self-help uh, of ethical guidelines and life principles, it is first and foremost the revelation of the living God. He gave us His Word in order that we might uh, see Him, know Him, feel His love, discover His wisdom, draw upon His strength and rely on His power. The purpose of the Bible is to introduce you in a personal way to the God of the universe and His Son, Jesus Christ. So what do we take from this passage? Well, the first thing I take is the priority of prayer in progressive sanctification. The, prior, the priority of prayer in progressive sanctification. Um, they needed the prayers of others. They needed Paul to pray for them. They needed to pray for their own illumination. They need to pray for open eyes. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. First thing they need to pray for is to know God better. To know God better. Now, you know, the atheist says there's no God and no God. The agnostic says, well, we can't know God, K-N-O-W, we can't know God. But Paul says we can know God better. <laughs> to know God personally is salvation. To know God personally is salvation. Let me read John 17, 3. This is eternal life. This is eternal life that you may that uh, they may know you and the only Jesus is praying for us. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
Um, we can know the only true God. To know God personally, then, is salvation. To know God increasingly is sanctification. Philippians 3.10 That I may know him in the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of his sufferings be conformed to his death. To know God increasingly is sanctification. To know God personally is salvation. To know God perfectly is glorification on our way to perfection. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then one day face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. So one day we will have perfect knowledge. Um, We will be perfectly glorified when we see him. But for now, our prayer, our desire, our need is to know God better. And we know God better through the Word, through the Holy Spirit that resides in us. He also wants us to know God's calling. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. Uh, now, his calling was described in verses 13 through, through 14. Okay. Paul said, I'm praying for you that you can understand these truths better. Um, and in the passage, we saw that from eternity past to eternity future and everything in between. To be called is to be a part of the church, verse 22 as he put all things as projected under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. The church literally means called out. It's a called out assembly. The church has been called out from among them, from the world. He wants us to understand that more. He wants us to appreciate what it means to be a part of the church. 2 Peter 1, 3 seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the, knowledge, the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. This is everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness, He has given us. He has given us. We just need to understand it. We need to comprehend it. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal it to us. All things. Verse 22, again, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness who fills all in all. So, we need to to pray. I need to pray for you. You need to pray for me. We need to pray for ourselves that we know God better that we know God's calling better, that we know what God truly values, so that we know what God truly values. Let me show you something interesting, verse 18, the last part of the verse. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? Now, in other places, and in most places, the inheritance is a reference to what, we're, what we have, what Christ has, has given us. Okay? And our inheritance is in heaven. 
But it appears that in this verse, what he's referring to is that we are God's inheritance. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in, in the saints. Not our inheritance, his inheritance. We are his. We belong to him. He considers us valuable. That's why he loves us with a loyal love. He considers us valuable. 1 Peter 2.9 but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Notice, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We need to know what God truly values. We need to have the Holy Spirit open our eyes to what is really important. And, in, and in here, it's, what's really important is the church or the saints or the people of God. That's what he values. Everything is wrapped up in that. Well, we need to know God's power. We need to know God's power. Verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Toward us who believe. These are in accordance to the working of the strength of his might. You got power. You got might. How, how powerful is he? Verse 20. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's resurrection power. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. It's ascension power. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only is this in this age but all eternity, the one to come. He's put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How mighty is God's power? It raised Jesus from the dead. He, he sat him at his right hand. He put all things in subjection to Christ and he made Christ head of the church. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power working in us. In fact, it, it, it raised us from the dead. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Even when you were dead and your transgressions made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. We need to see the priority of prayer and progressive sanctification as we, as we journey more towards Christ's likeness. Until that day when we are glorified, we need prayer. Again, you need to pray for me. I need to pray for you. We need to pray for each other. And we need to pray for ourselves. I also see here something very important. The mark, uh, what marks a genuine Christian? What marks a genuine Christian? Christian. Verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, 115, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, jump down to verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may know what is the hope. Now we've, we've talked about this triad many times. I've, 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 I've preached sermons about this triad 
many times. They're the big three of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. What, what we need to understand here is these are not just generic terms. Okay? You know, uh, these are not just generic, you know, you got to have faith, brother. Right? Where you always, there's always hope. Right? You know, I, I, you know, today as an example, there's a, there's a generic use of hope. I'm, I have great hope today at 3 o'clock the Bengals are going to beat the Chiefs. <laughs> I have faith that they're going to beat the Chiefs. Chiefs. Uh, but they're not going to beat the Chiefs. No. <laughs> right. It's not talking about this generic faith. Right? This is very important. There's a specific object tied to each one of these uses here. Okay? Again, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in what? In who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith has to be in Jesus. This is what makes you a Christian. It's not faith in faith, right? It's not faith in faith. A lot of people, they have faith in faith. Um, it, 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 it's not, uh, it's not it, it doesn't even say faith in God, does it? It's very specific. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus the Christ. This is what makes you a Christian. It's faith in Christ. Not, not, not faith in a generic God. Okay? It's Jesus Christ. Your faith must be in Jesus Christ. Verse 19. And what's the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who what? Believe. You must believe in Jesus Christ. That is salvation. Faith in Christ. Trust in Christ. Belief in the second person of the Trinity. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. It's not just even a, a generic Jesus. It's the Jesus revealed in Scripture. God in the flesh. So what, what marks a genuine Christian? Faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, now this is going to shock you, love for the church. Love for the church. Again, Verse um, uh, 22, we, are in a, we, we see the phrase church. And he put all things in subject under his feet and gave him head of all things to the church. But you'll notice in verse 15, it says, For this reason I too, having heard of, of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all. Is that what it says? What's it say? All the saints. Okay. Now, do Christians love their neighbors? Yes. Do Christians uh, love their enemies? Yes. But what marks a genuine Christian? He loves the saints. He loves the church. He loves his brothers and sisters. Okay. That's what that, he said. I have thanked God for you. He says, every time I think of you because of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love you have for the saints. The love you have for the saints. And the last thing is hope. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Again, it's a very specific hope. It's not, you know, cross your fingers and hope. What's he talking, hoping about? About God's calling. About God's working. Hope and God's working. 
We, our hope is in what God has done for us, not what we're going to do for God. Verses 3 through 14 is what God has done for us, not what we did for God. Our hope is not in our goodness, our perfection, our, our good neighborliness. Our hope is not in, you know, whatever. Our hope has to be in what God has done for us. That's the only hope we have. If God doesn't do it, we're not, it can't get done. And he has done it. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. But again, faith, love, hope. We see this so often in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Again, in what? In the Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God and Father. Thirdly, conclusion. The future is ours. Okay, verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the name, uh, in the one to come, in eternity, he has put all things in subjection under his feet. Uh, obviously, we're talking about Jesus, verse 20. And gave him as head of all things to the church. <laughs> he did all that for us. God has put Christ in authority over all powers. Now, you say, Pastor Greg, look around the world. It uh, doesn't seem to me that Jesus is ruling very well, right? Well, that's coming, right? That's coming, and we're a part of it. God is working through the church to complete his plans for eternity. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The future is ours. Things are not spinning out of control. History is moving towards a fixed point. That's the reign of Christ eternally. Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18, he is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Again, I love this. He is, in the, he is the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's the creator from the beginning. He's the eternal God. He's from the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. That was time and space and history, as we talked about before. 30 AD, in Jerusalem, he died, was buried, and rose again. And he himself will come to have first place in everything to come. Eternity past, present, future. And we're a part of it. We're a part of it. That's why God values us. That's why we're his inheritance. That's why we're his own possession. We need to learn from Paul how to pray for other believers in our family in our church, and across the world. Let's not just pray for them to be healthy and happy, but for them to experience the spiritual blessings of knowing God better, knowing His calling better, and knowing the power He has committed to bringing us home 
for all eternity. Let's pray. No wonder Paul said, all to know you in the power of your resurrection. God, we need to know you that way. We need to know Jesus that way. We need to know the Holy Spirit that way. Lord, it's easy to be discouraged and depressed looking at the world, looking at culture, looking at society, looking at all the bad news. But Jesus Christ is the good news. The gospel is the good news. If we spent more time thinking about good news than bad news, uh, we would be much better off. And Lord, I think the church will be better off. If again, we spend more time dwelling on the good news, not the bad news. I personally believe there's bad days coming for the church. I really do. Not just this church. We've seen it in other places in the world. I think we're going to see it here. But we're not to dwell on the bad news. We must pray to understand the good news. So we thank you for the good news that comes in Jesus. Amen.